Our scripture is from Genesis 40, verses 1 to 23 from the New Living Translation. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the, place, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they were both looking upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in the Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place, for I was kidnapped from my homeland the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. Then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Pharaoh's birthday came three days later, and he prepared a banquet for all of his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Bob. We gave you a long one to read this morning. Uh, could have give, given you a coffee here as well as you read all the 23 verses. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to TCC this morning. Uh, our family just got home from Michigan. We just arrived uh, not too long ago, and um, we had a great time with our family. One of the uh, one of the things that I had in mind. When, I, when the family gathered together in Michigan was that I would teach each of the grandchildren to golf. 
one of the high priorities of life, you know, that they would be able to have a game of golf, that they would learn how to golf. And uh, to give them a little incentive, I said, we're in the backyard, that's where we started, that there was a hedge, in the neighbor's hedge, about 15 feet high, cedar, cedar trees. I said to them, now that's about 125 yards away. If anyone can reach the hedge, you get a chocolate bar. And uh, wow, what an incentive, I'll tell you. I just about got, went broke buying chocolate bars. They, one guy hit it right over the top, about 10 feet over, and they'd never golfed before. And I thought, wowzers, this is, this is going to be fun. So now we know that coming back to, to Michigan in the days ahead, they're going to be asking Grandpa to take them out golfing again, especially for those chocolate bars. Well, I invite you to pray with me. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for the family of God here at TCC. Thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, Lord. And uh, this passage, uh, Lord, we just ask for your clarity and your anointing upon it this morning for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to invite you to just listen to a passage of Scripture in the book of Psalms. Who would have ever thought that you might read about Joseph in the Psalms? As you know, we're in a series of messages underscoring the life of Joseph. So listen to these words from Psalm 105, verses 17 and following. I'm not sure if they're going to be on the screen or not. It says, Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, uh, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar until the time came to fulfill his dreams. The Lord tested Joseph's character. Then Pharaoh sent for him and set him free. The ruler of the nation opened his prison door. Joseph was put in charge of all of the king's household. He became ruler over all, all of the king's possessions. He could instruct the king's aides as he pleased and teach the king's advisors. Wow, from the book of Psalms, in a, in a few striking verses, you have the history of Joseph all wrapped up in a pretty box with a ribbon on it. When you think of it, actually the box is not all that attractive because the story has every possibility in the world to be a tragic story of injustice and hatred. Does Joseph get a ribbon on his box? Does his humanity get in the way? What will Joseph do? Is God in this? There was only one person who could impact the outcome of the story, and that was Joseph himself. The years are going by. Is anything ever going to change? I mean, have you ever quietly pondered that question in your own soul? I bet you have. Is anything ever going to change? The years are going by. He's probably 17 years of age when he entered prison. Now, quite a few years later, maybe 11, he is still incarcerated. And where does he get his drive to excel? Where does that come from? This blessing that's on his life. 
And can you ever be mature enough to handle the injustice and the mistreatment that comes your way? Can you ever arrive there? Could this spoiled teenager arrive there? Now a man into his 20s, maybe 28. As we've already said, if, you're, if you've just joined us, we're preaching our way through the end of Genesis, this incredible story of a man that we dearly love and, and dearly respect, Joseph. And I just love this great story. It's been one of my favorites uh, all of my life because it's precisely where we live. It's precisely where we live. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He has become the personal slave of Potiphar in his own home, in his own estate. He has fought off advances of Potiphar's wife, who because of her scorn now accused uh, Joseph of raping her. And falsely accused by Potiphar himself, Joseph landed up in prison, a dungeon where the king's prisoners were held. It no doubt was a hellhole, uh, such as you might find in a foreign country and if you were to be imprisoned there because of your faith. Some who have suffered for their faith in prisons like Iran have gotten out and reported how horrendous the conditions are. You do not want to be in one of those prisons. But there are particularly some prisons that are beyond what you would even want to imagine. It's one thing to handle tough things that come our way that we bring on ourselves, but what is often so discouraging and so disillusioning is to have to deal with difficult things that come our way for which we say we are completely innocent. We are falsely accused. We are suffering for something that we didn't do. Peter puts it about as bluntly as you could put it uh, when he writes, For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course you get no treatment for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Well, being punished for doing wrong is something we might expect. I mean, if someone is drunk and they drive through the city streets of Edmonton at 100 kilometers an hour and you kill someone, you expect to get the book thrown at you. That's how we preserve an orderly society. There are consequences for that kind of behavior. But if you're a woman and you're flying from Montreal to Toronto and you fall asleep on the plane and no one wakes you up to say it's time to deplane. Have you been listening to the story? And in the middle of the night you find yourself in a pitch black dark airplane that's parked somewhere out on the tarmac and you don't know where you are and you don't know how to get out you can't help think there's an injustice been done here, even if accidentally. But on a deeper level, if you are little Amira, the four-year-old daughter of ISIS parents who were killed in the war, and you are all alone, an orphan in another country, you've been orphaned and you have no one, but because your parents belong to ISIS, 
which you had nothing to do with, you find yourself abandoned, an orphan in a foreign country in Syria with some relatives living in Canada, but you're not able to return home. That little girl doesn't even realize it now, but she will, of the terrible mistreatment that came her way because of no fault of her own. She was a victim in a cruel, physical, and psychological, philosophical war. Joseph had every human right to come to some conclusions about humanity and about God, conclusions that were on the dark side. And one wonders what kept him from throwing up his hands and spitting at the world and saying, why was he born in such an awful life? And I kept asking as I read this passage, what's the secret here? What's going on? Why is Joseph so okay with life? How does he do it? How does he get through this stuff? How does he smile? How does he laugh? How does he make sense of it all? And I keep coming back to the fact that he must have had such an authentic faith in God. He must have. He must have heard the whispers of God in his heart. He must have sensed over and over again the presence of God in his life. That sense of God's presence in his life which enabled him to trust God without hesitating, without faltering. And he must have been so aware of the blessing of God on his life in the midst of his rough and tough circumstances. I think uh, Pastor Quinn and Pastor Norb have no doubt pointed this out, but it, it, it bears repeating chapter 39, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar was aware of it too, because his, his household had the word blessing written all over it. Since Joseph came to that estate, Everything went extremely well. He knew it. Potiphar knew it. Joseph knew it. And Joseph got handed loads of responsibility. Hey, just give the problem to Joseph. He'll fix it. You need something organized? Give it to Joseph. He'll take care of it. Oh, and I was reading along, and I almost missed this. You know when you find a nugget and, and it just stirs your heart and you get so excited? My heart got so excited, chapter 39, verse 21. This is after Joseph is thrown in prison because of the false accusations that Potiphar's wife trumped up against him. But look at this. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. Isn't that cool? God showed him his faithful love. God showed him his faithful love. How did he do it? Uh, there are probably many ways, but the Lord made Joseph a favorite. That's one of the ways with the prison warden. Because before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all of the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. You see, there's a quiet ministry of the Lord's presence happening in Joseph's heart amidst the, the mistreatment. Friends, this is what keeps us. 
And this is what sustains us. Whatever you might be going through right now. Today we would call it the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't really matter the terminology. The Spirit fills us. The Spirit encourages us. And the Spirit loves on us. And we sense His presence. And that's what kept Joseph going. That's what keeps us going. He was never alone. He was alone, but never alone, really. Never alone. The Lord showed him his faithful love. The Lord showed him his faithful love. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was another person who discovered what it was to be in prison. Only, in this case, it was Siberia. He wrote in his book, The Gulag Archipelago, that in the intoxication of youthful successes, I had felt myself to be infallible, and I was therefore cruel. In the surfer of power, I was a murderer and an oppressor, and it was only when I lay there on rotting prison straw that I sensed within myself the first stirrings of good. He writes, Gradually it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through state, not between classes, not between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. So he writes, so bless you, prison, for having been in my life. So bless you, prison, for having been in my life. The prison can take you two ways. It can make you bitter and cynical, or you can say, prison, bless you for being in my life. Joseph was okay with being in the prison. Not that he wanted to stay there, but it was in the prison that the Lord nurtured his soul, captured his heart. Joseph was somehow granted this beautiful gift of trust to know that in between him and his circumstances was God. And it was verified by the fact that whatever Joseph did, the Lord prospered it. Oh, most of us think the other way. We think when the hard times of life come, we just assume God's not with us. When we have to go through the valley, we, God, Lord, where are you? I don't, I don't sense that you're there. Chapter 40 opens with Joseph gaining a couple of new cellmates. The chief cupbearer and the chief baker got tossed into the clink because they angered the Pharaoh. Now, if you were a cupbearer in ancient royalty circles, it meant you were a very trusted individual. You trust, you tasted the king's wine before he drank it. You ate some of the king's food before he ate it. Just so the king wouldn't get poisoned. I don't know how these cupbearers managed to stay so trim and fit because uh, that's a pretty awesome job to taste all the wine, to taste all the food. I'm afraid that I would just balloon right out of sight. But here he is. But beyond tasting the wine and the food, and it kind of reminds you, doesn't you, of Nehemiah, the cupbearer, uh, back in the Old Testament, who often had the ear of the king. They were loyal confidence. So what in the world did the chief cupbearer do to warrant getting thrown in prison? Uh, it says he offended the pharaoh. wonder what that means. It's curious that the chief baker also is put in the slammer, so one wonders if these two, if these two guys were in a situation 
that involve food, which kind of makes sense. The cupbearer and the baker would obviously have to work together, and if they were in cahoots, there could be trouble. They offended the pharaoh. Again, we don't know why. It obviously doesn't really matter. Maybe the baker put jalapenos in the cake. I don't know. Maybe the pancakes were not fluffy enough. What does it take to offend the pharaoh? Maybe very little. But both of these men had a dream one night while in prison, and both woke up with a puzzled, concerned look on their faces. And Joseph noticed it right away. So he said, why do you look so worried today? I, I would have thought that just looking sad in prison would have been normal. Apparently it had not occurred to him that some people find being in prison an adequate reason for sadness. You know, there are a lot of sad people in the world today. And you know where a lot of them are? They're in prison. And it just reminded me as I read this that I don't think a lot about them. I don't pray for them. And they're, they're not on my heart. Uh, I, I, I've just forgotten about them. But can you imagine being facing a lifetime in prison and the door slams behind you? You have no one. We don't give incarcerated people a lot of thought. That's kind of sad. We should indeed be grateful for those who minister to prisoners, chaplains, churches that feel called to this ministry, individuals who feel called to this ministry. I saw a headline the other day, just a few days ago, of uh, three inmates who were baptized publicly in a notorious prison in the United States where all these gangs are and the divisions and the sides and and these guys wanted to be baptized in front of all of their inmates. Wow. You know that will be costly for them. But our story. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. God sometimes brings into our lives people who are hurting when we ourselves are hurting. Did you ever notice that? Just when we're hurting, God places before us others who are hurting. And suddenly, what we're going through doesn't seem quite as significant. Often we say to ourselves, look at what others going, are going through and what, what I've got to face is relatively minor. Paul talks about our ability to comfort others with the comfort that we have received from God. It's often when we've been through something that we can understand what others are going through. How intriguing and how awesome that Joseph could look past his own loneliness and all of his God questions to reach to someone else's life. I think that's neat. You know, when your theology questions overwhelm you, you don't have to be excluded from the ball game. Sometimes when you've got all the questions and you just don't have any answers, sometimes you just have to carry on. And you, you minister without having all the answers. Uh, oftentimes we're in that place. I, I minister and I don't have all the answers. I've got things in my own life that I'm 
trying to figure out. Interpreting dreams is God's business. Joseph replied, go ahead and tell me your dreams. And I smile at that because the inference is that I know God, just ask me. I would have thought that Joseph might have said, don't talk to me about dreams. That's the last thing I want to talk about. But it looks to me like the sovereign hand of God is at work here. And Joseph, because he's free from bitterness and all the stuff that corrodes our spiritual pipes, is in a position to minister. In fact, God is beginning to shift some things in Joseph's life, even though it's not terribly obvious yet. But because he's free in his heart, he is in a position to be used mightily. Are you free in your heart to minister? Do you have things and people and bitterness and unforgiveness that tie you up in knots so that just when you want to enter into what God wants you to do, the old enemy pounces on you from behind and screams, you've got nothing to say. You just keep quiet. You just walk back into your cave. And it's the trick of the enemy. And you can turn around and look him in the face and say, by the grace of God, by the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, I'm free. You go into your cave. Joseph said, tell me your hearts. Tell me your dreams. And the cupbearer took the lead... And in his dream, he saw a vine with three branches. In no time at all, the vine produced grapes. And the cupbearer saw himself squeezing the juice into Pharaoh's cup and serving him. Now, Joseph didn't have to ponder this at all. He immediately interpreted the dream. He said in three days, the cupbearer would be restored to his position and Pharaoh's court. Now, I love the humanity of Joseph. And he says at this point, please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews. And now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. This is time for a favor. I mean, you and I would have done the same thing. Come on. We'd have done the same thing. We'd have called it a favor. I'd have played that card so fast, you wouldn't believe it. Now I've given you some good news. I hope you'll remember me and put in a good word. <laughs> you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Now here's an interesting scenario. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head, the top baskets contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. Now Joseph knew the interpretation immediately. God had given him this marvelous gift. Actually, I would say don't ask for this gift too quickly. The gift of interpretation. I don't know if I'd want it. But if the Lord gives it to you, he gives it to you. But you have to respect the integrity of Joseph. He knew he was going to have, some, have to say some hard things, but he said it. There is no sense that he said it harshly or anything like that. He just had to say it. And this is what the dream means, Joseph told him. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. 
then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Yikes. What a tough thing to have to say. Oh my goodness, I'm sorry I asked. We don't always say positive things as followers of Christ. We should have a positive min, uh, mindset for sure, but we're realistic. We face life squarely. It's not all about feeling good. It's about a long obedience in the same direction. And sometimes that long obedience is filled with the toughness of reality. Having a contagious positive attitude towards God does not mean unrealistically that you tell everything nice and wonderful things to people all the time whether they're true or not you just give the positive we should think positively but remember we don't live in a dream world we we face the reality of what we're dealing with and pretty hard to say to the chief baker your your days are numbered but I think what it did, and this is just my speculation, I think what it did was it got the baker ready for what was to come. And we don't have the whole conversation here, but I'm, I can imagine Joseph telling him about his God. There were three days that he had with him. And I can imagine that Joseph was busy sharing with him who his God was. The last few verses of the chapter tell us that things came to pass exactly as Joseph had said, and the cupbearer was restored and the baker was executed. Now here's the hard part for Joseph. Last verse, verse 23, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. He's a young man. He has his life before him. And ever since he was sold into slavery, his life has been such a hell on earth. He's just a kid. He's trying to bear all of this alone. And now after having some glimmer of hope that he might be free at last, that this guy would, 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 would vouch for him, this lousy cupbearer just forgets about him. Rotten prison. I don't care. Joseph has been in prison for probably 11 years. Will he ever get out? And Joseph edict, uh, issued an edict across the land, kill all the cupbearers in the land. No, wait, I made that up. Doesn't say that. But you and I would have felt that. How much can you take? I have a cousin and family who have gone through the most difficult times that I, I can't imagine a worse scenario. He and his wife had three children. His two boys took their lives in their early 20s, age 21, 22. His daughter had a stroke. His wife got cancer. He himself got cancer. Died a few years ago. What tough things to go through. And yet he did. And he shared his faith in Jesus with other people. But so many deep, deep disappointments in his life. Joseph did not allow bitterness to capture his soul. He had every reason to develop a bitter spirit. I mean, could you and I have stayed above the waters through all of this? And, and there are moments in his life where, where he had to have been angry. 
We're only human. But there's a difference between getting angry and letting the sun go down on your wrath and developing a hard, calloused, bitter soul. I love the story of Corey Ten Boom. You've probably heard it. After all that she and her sister suffered for hiding Jews in their home during the Second World War, Betsy died. After the war, Corey Ten Boom became a writer and a speaker. She was speaking one time in Munich, telling people how God forgives our sins. And she saw a man coming down the aisle to talk to her after her little talk, and she recognized him as one of the horrible guards at their camp in uh, Ravensbrück. And it all came back to her, the harsh treatment at the hands of this individual. He put out his hand and said, uh, a fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know, as you say, that all of our sins are buried and, and they're at the bottom of the sea. Oh, she struggled with what to do with this. He, he said, I was a guard at Ravensbrook, but since that time I've become a Christian. And I know God forgives me, but I would like to hear from your lips as well, Fräulein. Will you forgive me? She said, and I stood there. What seemed like hours. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I wrestled with this, the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do in my life. Then she said this healing warmth seemed to flood through my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes and softening my heart. And she said, Brother, I forgive you. I forgive you with all of my heart. She writes, with for a long moment we grasped each other's hands. I'd never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And I remembered it was not my love. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. The easiest thing in the world is to feel like We've been forgotten. Or we've been passed by or ignored. That life is is good for everybody else. But it's passing me by. And I'm still in my own little corner and nothing ever changes. Maybe the Lord brought you here this morning. you you're not forgotten maybe this morning the Lord wants you to know that he brings freedom to the prisoner the Lord sets you free in your heart in the midst of circumstances that feel like a prison but in your heart it shall not be so the enemy has an insistent way of making you think that God is no longer interested in your life that he has moved on it couldn't be further from the truth What are you waiting for? What's occupying your heart these days? Do you feel like God's forgotten you? There's a prayer that's going to come on the screen in just a moment. Maybe it's just a reminder of what you already know. But here it is. And as you quietly pray this prayer, 
know that regardless of your prison, he's near to you because he chooses to be, because he wants to be, and he wants you to trust him and to know him and to grow in him. So here's the prayer. You can read it quietly in your own heart. Lord, often I feel like I'm in a prison and I'm waiting. I'm waiting for someone to come with a key and put it in my prison padlock door. You no doubt will use some key people to help me out of prison, but I know behind it all it's really you. You're doing something in my life by allowing me to experience this prison. Someday I may even be able to thank you for this prison. But today I want to tell you that I trust you with my life. and I trust you with your timing. While I'm here in prison, may I see your faithful love as Joseph experienced. Help me to be aware of your faithful love. Help me to be aware of your faithful love. I surrender my life to you once again today. This is personal. This is private. You and God. Just you and God.